Welcome to the Gigless Podcast, a podcast showcasing the works and talents of those who lost their gigs due to the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast will feature a range of creatives from the Tri-State area who are young visionaries and who contribute to their craft despite the recent events that have happened. Join us today as our host Remy Leibovic speaks with David Wong, the Mad Lab Coordinator and Community Relations Associate at The Artifact. As a jack-of-all-trades, David works as an instructor who teaches children through multiple art mediums, as well as striving to make Poughkeepsie, New York a more eco-friendly and art-centered community. The Artifact is a non-for-profit school which seeks to educate children in the Hudson community by presenting multiple opportunities to explore art, develop real-world and professional experiences in a supportive and creative community. You can learn more about the organization and David's efforts in the show notes of the episode. Enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Gigless, the podcast that is documenting the loss of gigs due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, I am here with my guest, David Wong. He is from the beautiful Hudson Valley, and he is going to tell us about himself. Uh, hey guys, uh, David Wong. Um, so uh, before the uh, epidemic, I was working uh, for a nonprofit called The Artifact in based in Poughkeepsie. I was a coordinator for their media art and design lab workforce program where I would work with like people in their early 20s and late teens and have them work on different media art and design projects for like a small wage. And I was also doing their community relations. So I was kind of going to events and um, just being a jack of all trades for whatever the organization needed me to do. Um, I personally, myself, I kind of dabble in multiple mediums like sculpture and filmmaking. Um, and yeah, just a jack of all things, you know, master none. I wouldn't say master of none. You do a lot of really good work, especially with the whole sculpture and teaching kids. Thanks. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, I guess the main breadwinning part of my role is that um, every year we do it. And again, we've only been doing this for two years since our organization has been new. But um, every year we do like a giant summer installation. Um, And so that's kind of really where like the uh, most of my energy goes to is manifesting these like year long projects that kind of end up going to be and hopefully becoming a place in the city of Poughkeepsie and like adding to that placemaking feel of it. Absolutely. So most of your work is done in the northern Hudson Valley, correct? I believe so. Yeah. Most of my work is just based around there. Great. So, and you're dealing in the non-for-profit space. Yeah, that's correct. So when did you start working in the non-for-profit space and the, and who are you inspired by to work in that non-for-profit space? Oh, um, so essentially I kind of stumbled into it. Um, it, it, it kind of goes back a little bit, but I, I never really chose what I wanted to do in terms of like the field I wanted to go into. I um, was starting off like in the, like I was like trying to get my like associates in commercial art and by trying, I got my associates in commercial art and then went for arts management. And then my last year of college, I was really into film. So I got an internship with this one nonprofit called Spark Media, where that way I would get an internship and I would be able to edit because the cool thing about this nonprofit is that they had a production house. So not only were like they teaching kids like cameras and like film editing and all that stuff, but they were also doing commercials that were pretty like well-developed. Um, and they would do it for money. So they would pay their like apprentices money, like a living wage. 
um, or a small wage. And so um, I applied to be an intern there. And then when they merged with an arts organization called Mill Street Loft, um, they needed somebody who knew a little bit about art and a little bit about filmmaking. And I just so happened to be that person. So it was my first internship right out of college and they needed somebody who knew a little bit about a different things. And I just so happened to be that person. And four years later, four years later, I kind of developed that into a full-time role uh, where I teach a little bit about media art and design and just kind of tune in whenever they need me to. But, Absolutely. That's so great. And I've seen your work throughout the years of our friendship because we've definitely, yeah, we've, definitely. oh my goodness, it's about to be three years now. Three years. Wow. Yeah. Definitely palling around in the sculpture park and stuff like that. Absolutely. <laughs> Shout out Storm King Art Center. Shout out. And, and our whole crew from everyone that was at Swarm King. So again, like, uh, so what does your average gig look like then? Because if you're doing all of these non-for-profits and you're doing a lot of, you know, work for the kids and work for um, film and just what does your normal gig look like to listeners who would just never see you? Okay, yeah. That? So, um, the, the, where I get most of my, it, it's kind of co like I co I'm cobbling it together and I'm trying to see where else I can take it um, by like teaching myself things. But my main bread comes from the, not my role in the artifact. And so the main gigs look like <clears throat> putting together these projects that happen every summer. And those take quite some time because it's kind of a process of like asking a bunch of teenagers, like what they think sculpture is, but at that level, they don't really know. So you have to teach it to them first. And then when they take that, kind of merging their ideas, taking their ideas and proposing it to like the chain of command. So after the kids give me ideas and I have an idea of what would be looking good for them, it's not just up to me. I have to take it to my boss and then my boss's boss. And then that's got to get approved by all the senior partners. And then that's just us. So whoever's sponsoring the project, it could be one other nonprofit that's bigger than us, or it could be like a grant. They have to get approved by it too. And then even then, because it's based off the city of Poughkeepsie and it's for the city of Poughkeepsie, that has to make its way around the local politics, the arts council, um, any of the council people who are like sponsoring the land. So my project is arts based, but it's really just making, it's almost like babysitting. Like you just have to babysit one idea for a long time and just water it and change it depending on whoever has ideas. So that's really what my main role is, just project management arts management. Um, also recently I've been doing a thing where I kind of um, coordinate gigs between kids who are like working with us and um, local business owners who are in that kind of space where they need some art done or they need some like freelance labor done or some, some sort of artistic craft done, but they can't really afford to hire like professionals or even students who are in college. So there's a nice sweet spot of like high school kids who have some guidance and local businesses who need some art. So they're not really taking art away from any professionals, but they're also getting opportunity. Um, and so I coordinate between those gigs too. Um, and that's really where my, my kind of focus is. That and also just bringing arts into different like public spaces. So if there's like an event that's like, for the sake of promoting a healthy creek and you want our organization there, it's usually me and I'll go like it's, I'm trying to stay away from face painting because it's so much work, but it's like any arts-based activities so it could be stop motion on the go. So that's where my main income comes from. Um, in addition to that, I do some freelance uh, production. So me and like my brother-in-law will film local musicians or rappers and we'll help them make music videos. And it's kind of funny because I'm essentially his assistant, but also I'll tune in and be in a director too. So he's like the tech guy, he knows all the camera stuff, but you still need like a team to move around heavy lights and to like move things around and to 
to set up equipment. But then as he's setting up equipment, he'll be like, Dave, can you go in and coach that person on how you want them to behave? So it's kind of like, it's like a weird backwards role of like, imagine being like an assistant, but also getting to direct actors at the same time. And so that also gave me some video editing skills. And I do some freelance video editing for um, whoever needs it, if they have the money for it. Um, and that's about what I do for money. So, you know, I just want to go back and touch on giving the high schoolers gigs. I think that is an excellent utilization of local community. And I think that that is just so great because a lot of, as someone who works with small businesses myself, I think that a lot of professionals, not that they, you know, over, not that they overcharge, everyone has the right to charge what they need to live. But at the same time, a lot of smaller businesses often get overlooked because it's like, oh, they don't have the money for me, so I'm not even going to try. Yeah. And especially when you're in college, you're trying to make your, you're trying to beef yourself up and you're trying to get like, you know, the bigger fish and all these smaller businesses that just need help with simple things, but can't pay like, you know, however much that the professional's deem is worthy. I think because even though I was like, if I was in high school and someone was like, I'll give you a hundred dollars to, to put a painting of yours or a drawing of yours on the wall, I would literally freak out. I would be so happy. Yeah. That's literally honestly what most of it's like, honestly, is it's like someone needs a piece of art and they have this much money that might not be a lot to me or you, but like for a high school kid who needs to build up like something to put on their resume to get into school. And I'm just there to make sure that things go smoothly and also kind of give that extra level of like I. So uh, so it's, it's kind of a win-win for everybody involved. And that's so great because young people need to learn about how to make contracts and artist nego- negotiation because I feel like that's such an unspoken, like it's taboo to talk about, you know, your artist contracts. And I think that's great that you're guiding them and you're showing them the the lay of the land when it comes yeah. to that and you're giving them confidence yeah there's definitely the part of my, me that feels like I'm kind of like a coach but also almost like a guidance counselor because a big part of the learning part is for them to figure out that um you know you're younger and you want praise and you, you, you're you if you're a high school kid chances are maybe you're like one of the top artists in your high school and that kind of has this like big meaning to you because you're still developing who you are but um when you first have to get your rendition of notes on something that you've done and it's not from a teacher and then you have to do it again and again, there is a real strong part where this becomes not fun anymore. And they, and that's a dangerous part when you lose a lot of creative young people is, Oh, the part where the creativity doesn't become fun anymore. Does that mean I can't do this for a living? And the demographic that I work with tends to be lower income youth who um, they need to have all the avenues they can into higher education and also like higher, like, you know, working in the field and specifically creative fields too. That tends to be like a wealth, like disparity thing. Um, you need to have a coach there to be like, listen, this, this sucks, but this is like what it's like. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to be okay. Just toughen up. And eventually this will just be something that you deal with just the way like you tie your shoes and the way that you, I don't know, have to put on clothes. Like <laughs> getting notes is just going to be a part of the routine and you won't, like you won't yeah. have to deflate the way that you would have if maybe you're going at this alone. So could you just explain to our listeners a little bit, you mentioned that they're from lower income households. Yeah. Uh, like uh, what are some of the obstacles that <laughs> these kids are facing? Yeah, no. So yeah. essentially it's, it's, it's kind of identifying what barriers are there that, that no one has really known 
Um, you know, people, when they think about the arts and creativity, it's like, okay, well, you have to be the most creative person in the world to like, and that's it, and that can come from anywhere. And that's true. Um, and most people that are born from struggle tend to be creative because of just the necessity. I know the reason I drew first was because it's the cheapest thing to do. Like I can't, you know, buy a hockey, uh, like a hockey equipment and like learn that, but I could like take a pen and paper and just start drawing. Um, so there's that, but there's the idea of thinking about art in terms of career. Um, there are careers in the arts like graphic design, industrial design that these kids might not have even heard of. And by the time you're a junior in high school and for you not to have heard of that, it's already for you. It's, it almost sometimes is too late for you to go to school for it at that point because you didn't have the portfolio. Um, or, and, and that's not necessarily true because you can still like, you know, hustle and catch up. But wouldn't it have been so much nicer if someone had just told you that there was a thing out there? <laughs> and in addition to that, we also supply students with kind of the tools. So for instance, if you've never done graphic design or you've never done digital art, well, there's a place you can go where you will give you that equipment to do it. And then you get the, you get the paycheck when you work with us and you could buy your own. And that's what happens with a lot of my students is that they have their own tablet and their own pencil now because of the paychecks they got from working with us. So that's really kind of the main barriers. It's like, what other gigs are there that you didn't even know about? What equipment would you maybe not have the benefit of working with? And then also like just a guiding principle of like museums. Like I'm, uh, I'm sure most of us have like the benefit of being in museums, but there are some people out there who never been in a museum before. And if you're in a city that is like highly pedestrian based, like you work in the city, it's a, a huge project to go into an art museum. And even then it's like, why <laughs> if you have no frame of reference for it so that's kind of the barriers that we try and tackle for the most part though I don't want to make it seem like I'm the guy from stand and deliver because really I walk in and I go all right guys like coffee time this is your project and then I float around and give notes so I don't have to give too many inspiring speeches or too many you know I don't have to do too many dramatics but it, it is something that there has to be thought of because I definitely feel like when I entered the museum world, <laughs> even as my first job, uh, that wasn't fast food. Um, as a 19 year old, there was a huge like difference in like education level and just what you absorb if you're of a different income level. And what you're taught to absorb as well, because uh, for context, my minor, for people that have been listening, I have a dual major BA in graphic design and digital studies from Rutgers University Camden, but my minor was in sculpture. I spent a lot of time doing projects with my mentor that was a sculptor and still is. And there are things in sculpture, because you, you mentioned sculpture and doing non-for-profits, that yeah. you're taught to look for with the eye of a sculptor. Mm -hmm. So... Just so that's why so many people like when you walk into an art museum and let's say like you see a squiggly line going into the sky, yeah. you're like, what's that? But with the right education, you might, you know, yeah. And, and also like the, the data is there. I don't, you know, you don't have to hear from me that there's a disparity in like who appreciates museums and who doesn't only because of like who has added exposure to it. And like, even like you said, like the sculpture thing, I definitely, I remember just everything I learned in the museum, I just try and tell my kids like 10 years earlier than I learned it on my or. I guess six since they're not, you know, 11, but I go, um, all right, guys, you're making a sculpture. So if I like can run into it, I'm going to look, one thing I can do for with a sculpture that I can with a painting is I can look at it from four different angles, you know, um, can you remember that when you make it? And so just stuff like that, that you, someone had just said that sentence to you five years earlier, where could you have gone? And that's kind of really where the magic happens in terms of working with these younger guys. Absolutely. So 
that's incredible the work that you do in the non-for-profit space. I remember when you started talking about the, the creek cleanup and what you did. Can you elaborate on that that project just for yeah. our listeners? Because I remember it, but I want to just talk about it. Awesome. Yeah. So um, when the program that I work in was developed, uh, it was brand new and um, it was based off a few things before, but the kind of style of it was new. And so one of our big funders, um, because we do pay kids, you need to have funders, you need to have something to work, uh, work towards, uh, was Scenic Hudson. And Scenic Hudson was kind of trying to revitalize the uh, Scenic Hudson, which is a nonprofit based uh, in the Hudson Valley that works with the environment. So they were trying to revitalize the Fall Kill Creek. The Fall Kill Creek runs throughout the city of Poughkeepsie. It is also the reason why the city of Poughkeepsie was built, essentially, because that was a waterway kind of brought in big industry. Um, and over the years, the city, ha- the, the creek has started to decay and it's kind of become like a wasteland of trash and um, and like just general like spillage and like littering and like shopping carts and stuff, like some really heavy duty stuff. Like you can find like a tire, you can find like, I found like a, a bicycle. It's, re- it's really, it gets really bad. So this organization, what they did was they found out that it's hard for them to buy the land around it. But if they ask the people who own land near it to take care of their one spot, then you have all these organizations working together. So because we're in our organization, what we did was we took all the trash from the creek that we could in our location. We like put on these like waders or these rubber suits. We got down in there and we took out the material. And then using the material that we found, we tried to return it and make it into sculpture. Not only are you beautifying the location, but you're also kind of calling attention to what's there. So for instance, if the sculpture looks really cool, but then you find out that it's made of bicycle parts and AC units and you go, by the way, this was in the river. I think it's a little bit more like it catches people off guard. So over two summers, me and students were digging into the creek, grabbing the trash, cleaning it up, turning that into these awesome blages or essentially think of them as 3D collages and installing that in the surface of these kind of grassy hills so that you're kind of building off the environment that's there and just generally putting in work. A few more things that we did was making these giant steel letters that say earth with ART kind of bigger. So it's like art earth, you know, it's like cute. And those were see-through so we could still highlight the creek and also kind of add to the art part of it. And that was really cool because the kids got to like work with these fabricators and we had like teenagers talking to like metal workers about like what metal they prefer. And then also um, through the donation of this organization called Trees for Tribs, we were able to get 66 local plants so that we could plant it so that we don't have to put up a wired fence. So you can still enjoy the creek, but maybe there's more incentive to not throw a shopping cart in there. Um, And hopefully those plants, you know, still grow because we planted them last year. So it, it takes a little bit. But, oh my God, yeah. that's such a great example of artwork, sculpture, and biodiversity. Yeah. <laughs> and like, so that's what I wanted you to talk about. Oh yeah, no, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's honestly, it was really cool because um, this gig, this, this contract got us to, got me to go to a lot of environmental conferences. And that was kind of like, um, that was really fun because I was like, guys, look, I'm an environmentalist now. Like who knew? But it, it was wild because we did end up becoming environmentalists because you just you can't be a hypocrite so like when we're teaching and there's like kids who throw things out wrong or kids who are like littering I'm like dude we just cleaned the creek like we're not going to be the problem too you've cleaned you've spent hours cleaning this location you know how bad this is um and so in addition to that while we weren't building so for instance in the winter months or like the the colder months when you couldn't go outside and work physically um kids also did things like campaigns like graphic design posters to talk about like the facts of the creek or even radio PSAs. So we went on the radio and had kids like edit, like using like Premiere, like these like kind of radio PSAs about the Creek. 
So all this like arts-based messaging about promoting the environment done by the people who live there. So that was kind of sweet. That's such a great, that's such a great gig that I think that you had, that you, that, you know, and had a keyword. <laughs> had, but no, but that's the thing is that it's left an impact on Poughkeepsie, New York, you know, and it's, and if anybody's listening to this podcast and they want to implement it in their town, I'm sure that you could reach out to David and his non-for-profit artifact and learn about how you can implement it in your town when obviously when COVID is done. Yeah. So COVID-19. So let's bring it up to, you know, the present. We, you were talking about all of these wonderful projects that you had in mind, the Burning Man, the grants. Yeah. David's also very multi-talented because <laughs> he knows how to write grants. And when you are an artist, it is it is pivotal to your career. That's why they make you take all these writing classes in art school, because if you do not take writing classes, you will not know how to write and apply for grants. Yeah. So I'm going to let David talk about yeah. so, getting so into luck, that. Luckily for me, um, the person who writes grants the most actually is, uh, is, uh, is our director of development. So there's one person who's thinking about that. I definitely did. My first grant was the Trees for Trips one. So that was kind of exciting. But um, it's definitely like a team effort. Like you have to know how to, like, yeah, grants, uh, like I think that writing is probably the most important thing. If you're a visual artist, um, it's, I don't know if anyone's ever told you that, but writing is probably the second most important thing to you in your career if you are a visual artist. And I'll just say that again. Um, so we were applying for a grant so that we can fund another big like installation project um, happening this summer. And again, it takes a long time. So we already had kids design ideas and we started brainstorming and thinking about like what would we like and what we could do. And we applied for this uh, this project with Burning Man, which is, um, it's not just that one site out West that has all those installations. It's also a nonprofit that funds art projects based on community in other locations too. And they have a really cool site so you can see some of the past ones. So we applied using the kind of model we did for the other project kids design stuff, we revise them, we make it community-based, and we make it highly interactive, and we make it for the city, uh, by the city. So we got this really good news where um, we were asked to do a full application. So that's a pretty good sign when someone's asking you to ask for more, they're asking you to do more work. Uh, that means they're interested. And we were really looking forward to building it the summer, and then like two or three days ago, we found out that the whole project this year has just been like, like axed. Um, the organization that funds the project, Burning Man, I think, decided that, uh, reasonably so, that there, there is like, they just can't in good faith fund anything that sponsors human interaction and connectivity and public, you know, uh, pu public gatherings. So that was super duper disappointing. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we will try again next year. Um, and that's kind of just one of those smaller repercussions that no one thinks about is like, uh, all the all the nonprofit grants that got axed too, because it's not just me. If we like talk about the four product, the four organizations I just mentioned, like Scenic Hudson or Trees for Tribs, or even like like other organizations that work outside. Anybody who's working outside right now, like, what are they doing? If they can't, if they, their funding got cut off, you know. And so part of my job is essentially funded by those projects, and that you know we had to scale back a dramatic amount. And so that's kind of one of the repercussions of the COVID-19 crisis and, and the wake of nonprofit work. Yeah. Yes, it's definitely, it's really heavy. How, how did you take that? Like oh, at um, first? 
that was that was weird i <laughs> we it was kind of funny because I, I live with one of my coworkers, and um we uh we got an email that was like what's it, what was the title it was like hard just difficult decisions in difficult times and you can like you can hear yourself gulp when you see an email like that and then the yeah. last i just remember one of the final lines of the email was like i'll be making calls later this week and it was just like everybody like texting each other and like messaging each other privately like did you get a call yet did you get a call yet and then it was so crazy because like like when i said i lived with my coworker, i heard her get a call i like heard that wrap up and then i got a call it was like just this ominous like you know and obviously these are good people they're trying the best they can and luckily for me they're like still sponsoring me like one day a week um um so that i mean i'm, I'm still able to apply for unemployment but it's like oof you know just when you think things were like kicking off something like no one sees comes out that's what a lot of people has been saying is that they felt that 2020 was really going to be their year. And they started, yeah. me included, yeah, um, they, they started, they started feeling that, you know, they were onto something and then that something was canceled, po yeah. postponed. postponed. And a lot of artists really do feel that way. Yeah. And yeah. so getting more into that, how has COVID-19, how has this pandemic affected you? Like, how have you adjusted and how has the shift, like, changed everything? Well, yeah, so it's 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 crazy because, like, definitely from my job's perspective, like, uh, I, I never really considered what I did service industry, like, in terms of, like, barber. But, like, if I'm, like, working with people and, like, my whole gig is the, like, interaction with humans and, like, getting them to do things you can definitely do it online. I know a lot of schools are doing like Zooms and stuff like that, but, um, uh, or like digital meetings. Teaching is interesting because it's like super heavy based on critique. And like my one day a week goes to like teaching like a, like a critique session for my class. But other things too um, come into question like physical working or like physical painting, like that stuff's all limited. Like if we're not there to give kids tools and like supplies, then how do they get them? If they're not, you know, if they were getting them from us first and we found it, we found a way to give them most of it, but it's still like threw everything to a, uh, an array. And for myself, my days are a lot emptier now. Um, so I've been keeping busy with my own projects because um, like I said before, like I dabble in a lot of things. Um, so, and like, <laughs> thank you again for saying it. I was like, I don't really consider myself good at any of them, but I, I dabble in things. And so I've just kind of been taking that workflow of like, I work with a lot of people. I tell a lot of people what to do and we collaborate. And I've just kind of been doing that in my own life. So uh, I'll ask my friend to draw like cartoons for me and then I'll ask another friend to make a piece of music. And then I'll just put together like a fake ad for Instagram just for the sake of calming myself down. Like, I don't know yeah. if you remember the song like Fireflies by, I don't forget. It was like, it's like a band. Owl City. Yeah. So that's one guy. And I guess the, uh, the meaning behind that was he tried to write himself like a, like a, like a lullaby so he can go to sleep. And I remember hearing that when I was working at a fast food joint when I was like 19. And somebody was saying that as a joke, like, isn't that ridiculous? This guy wrote himself a lullaby so he could fall asleep. But I was thinking like, that's really cool. Imagine writing yourself your own like cure. So right now I just make a lot of content aimed to calm myself down. <laughs> No, but that's that's what's needed. I think that all artists and all people that are, you know, musicians at the same time, creatives are people who just you you really start creating because you're selfish and you need it for yourself yeah. and then other people start catching on. Yeah. So so taking a more introspective look, 
how are you, so you're coping with it through creating, which yeah. is great. Yeah. What's an example of a project that you're working on? Oh yeah. So um, I think the first thing I did was I, I made like a fake magazine cover called Quarantine, the, what was it? Quarantimes? The Quarantimes. And essentially what I wanted to do was, um, so I teach photography and I teach basics of design, like very basics. Um, and I, you know, I teach a whole bunch of stuff and I was like, what if I just, all the stuff that I keep teaching, what if I just do? So I made a magazine cover that was fake. It was like a parody called the Quarantimes. And it shows a photo of me being really, really stressed out and like fake tips, like how to turn apocalypse now into apocalypse. Wow. And all that kind of cheesy language that I feel like is going around in like late night TV and you know, these like self-help gurus who mean well, but it still kind of sometimes feels a little like silly. And um, I was just doing stuff like that. Um, but then the second project where it was like Quarantunes, which was like this uh, this little like one minute long video for Instagram was essentially like a fake ad. And I had a friend of mine, um, uh, Emily Kapowski or Mila Cass on Instagram. Um, she, she made me a jingle. Like I was like, can you make me a jingle like a commercial? And she goes, cool done here it is and then I was like cool can we revise that so that it has these notes in it and then as she was doing that I hit up my friend John Flynn who's a cartoonist and I was like can you draw like a cartoon so I can like animate it and turn it into a walk cycle and then I made um and as he was doing it I had another friend Kara um from Storm King so you know Kara from Storm King I mean and she yeah. was also doing a cartoon for me so I was doing what I do at work but instead of teaching like having kids do a bunch of things I was making like my friends do them since they were all bored and then I made like a DIY green screen rig uh, at home um, using a Lazy Susan, which is kind of like a rotating wooden thing. And I just taped it with green and I made a green backdrop and I put a Purell lotion bottle there and I just kind of had it spin. And I just really wanted to make something catchy, but also um, kind of pointless. <laughs> and the, the jingle was, um, you're fine, you're doing well, you're fine, you're okay. And so there's just this like minute loop of like little cartoon animals crying as just a Purell bottle spinning and it's just really weird. And I originally like wanted to keep making these things for like three or 2 a.m. because um, not only is that usually when I'm done with them, but I think there's a real vulnerability at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. nowadays. And I think that if you're on your phone on Instagram at 3 a.m., you're probably not feeling the best. And I kind of, so if you've taken like media buying and like, oh, six o'clock is the best time to sell soda. It's like, when's like the best time to sell? Anxiety. Antidepressant? Antidepressant <laughs> and anxiety, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of what I wanted to do. Although my last post went up at like noon because I was like, I overslept. Um, that's that's when I fine. Was. But there was something really nice about this kind of collaborative nature. There's like something, it feels, it feels like work because you have like, I try to make myself have a deadline of like, get it done as soon as I can. And it's also about like asking people to do different parts of it and have a lot of gear spinning. But then at the end of the day, it's like, pointless so <laughs> there's this kind of nice feeling of no one really cares about this anyway so it's 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 work but it's not it's busy work people don't care about it or you think people don't care about it because it's not gone yet because as we're seeing now in this pandemic no one cared about the arts no one cared about music the music programs and the art programs were the first things to get cut in school budgets and now it's like the biggest demand is for entertainment. Yeah, no, that's honestly, it's what it is. I was telling my dad, because my dad's a big doomsday prepper, apocalypse dude. And he once told me like, so it's like every, every four years, whenever something scary happens, and I'm not saying like, whenever he tells me this, I don't panic. Every time I do panic, 
is just like, listen, when the thing happens, and, and I say that because it's interchangeable, you, you know, before it was like World War Three or when this, your, your, your skill set's going to be useless. He said to me, he was like, you have two things going for you. You can speak Spanish and you're young, so you can maybe lift heavy things. That's it. <laughs> and he's like, that's all you have going for you. You're going to be like a, like, you have to know that that's what you have. And I was like, oh, shoot, you're right. Like, this is all I have. Well, when the thing happened, the corona the big epidemic happened, the first out-of-work gig I got was editing a video because, like, people still need to see content. People still need to – and the video I got was um, editing a video of an influencer, like, talking about ways to stay sane at home. So um, messaging is, like, really important, more so now than ever. If this proves it – if this doesn't prove it, I don't know what will, like, everybody who makes things that you consume at home, like, that can help or hurt you and – and it's it's more so now than ever. Like we're we're fighting for people's eyeballs, and also when we're fighting for people's eyeballs, we need to be fighting on the side of good, you know. So yeah, there's a lot of actual like false information that can be deemed harmful yeah. out there. And as content creators, like you and I both do multimedia stuff, yeah. um, it's very important to keep that in the back of your mind that you know all the sources that you're citing are legitimate. Yeah. Um, and just to take a more, you know, a deeper look at what's going on. How are your kids who oh, yeah, are yeah. from, a, how are the kids that are from those already, mm. you know, places of like those kids that already don't have access to things. How do they feel now that no one has access or how, how are they feeling? Yeah. Um, I, it's tough. I, I, luckily for me, I did get to keep at least two weeks of remote teaching before that con like that kind of session that gig ended. And I do have one day of work a week with my main job. So that's something where I get to like at least like have a night class and do critique. But because, you know, like uh, like I'm the dude in his late 20s, I have my apartment, I have my room, I get to go here and retreat and make art for fun. They are kids and they're kind of powerless. And I had a student not too long ago, like like essentially go online and like ask for commissions because like she was trying to support her mom, you know, because her mom was hurt. But like, if you're a kid, you're in this like absolute state of powerlessness because you don't have a job. You know what I mean? You didn't have a job to begin with. So it was really moving to see her try and use that. And I definitely like funded her too. And like, I'll definitely send you a link so you can boost your Instagram. Oh, I will boost her Instagram and I will definitely commit. I want her, I want a commission. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I bought one too. I was like, and it's funny because she had a, like a lot of my kids do this. They don't do backgrounds, like, like they're really into character art and then they don't do a background. So I commissioned a city scene with no people in it <laughs> just, just to like pay her, but also try and teach her something. Um, and that's just the one who said it. There's probably more kids out there who didn't even say that to me, who, um, who uh, are, uh, what you call it, who, you know, who might be struggling too. And it sucks because when you're a kid, you're kind of just the victim of circumstance. You don't really have any agency. And especially now, if your parents are laid off, you might be struggling even more. And if you're in a city city that said, if you're in a city setting, you got a bunch of siblings, like, what are you doing? Um, you're just at home eating. And what if you had meals paid for, like, for my organization, we, we gave them snacks. Or if you were at night class, we paid you dinner. So to get all these, like, different implications that are really getting cut off. Um, so, you know, I try and keep the, uh, the one night a week class going just because I feel like it's a nice little break from reality. But it's funny that you mentioned that because um, so part of what we do too is we have a radio show uh, at Vassar College. Um, and so now we're talking about keeping that going, but remotely. And hopefully we'll be able to like have kids be able to talk about things like, 
what are some struggle meals they're eating or even like you know what's it like to be with like your siblings all the time and just stuff that no one really gets the airtime to really vent you know specifically from this like kids in Poughkeepsie setting it's really specific but yeah absolutely but that's the thing is that um a lot of people are like oh you got your kid you got nothing to worry about and it's like oh no there's a lot of things that so kids have to worry about they're and so aware of everything and they just can't have you're just in a place where you can't do anything about it and that's where it's like the worst part of it comes and if you're an art kid all you know how to do is like draw and stuff but like you know what kind of negative messaging are they getting now about like jobs in the arts and well know. it wouldn't matter if you were even like a kid like let's say like you were like a medical kid you're not gonna go and like volunteer at the hospital like now you know oh, you're not yeah. even qualified to do that yeah and i'm no. talking about for context i'm talking about like the 15 year olds that they get to like go and like the the sugar candy nurses or something what? i forgot the candy <laughs> the candy stripe nurses like the kids that you would be when you were younger you could sign up and you would like deliver like candy and snacks from the hospital uh gift shop up to rooms oh i didn't know that was a thing that sounds awesome yeah that was only in a couple hospitals but like even then like you know yeah but there's definitely that 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 outlook towards kids that want to be more so on the creative side yeah no most definitely so yeah it's <laughs> It's tough, you know, yeah, like that. And my perspective is only from watching it. I'm not even like there to give you all. Yeah. They won't even like tell me. So, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. But that's good. I think because, you know, Gigless is, is documenting what's going on during the COVID 19 pandemic for all creatives. And these kids, while they're not like, you know, uh, adults yet, I still think that they count as creatives that are being affected by this. Oh, yeah, no, most definitely. Like, and I'm sure that a lot of these kids also like yeah they might have pen and paper or they might not like we don't know we can't even assume that like uh if you're cut off from your materials like how are you really able to you know to, to well you told them to go into the creek yeah right that, well, that one time socially distance yeah socially distance go in the creek work with what you got <laughs> yeah well yeah um, actually, our first assignment once we started going remote was um making a uh wear piece of wearable art using the stuff you have and then I made like a youtube tutorial um, which I totally share with you too, because I feel like it was awesome, but it was like a YouTube tutorial on like how to make wearable art, animal based, like made out of like things like a Goya box and like a ginger ale can. <laughs> That's such a Hispanic. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just like, like I just went to what I had and I was like, oh, there's a Goya box here. Like, of course, that's what I have. <laughs> well, you know what? That was the first, you know, the Goya beans other than toilet paper, that whole, that whole section was gone. Was it really? The, for, for me, locally, the first week, like the first weekend yeah. after I, the, after this whole thing hit, there was no beans. We didn't have beans for about two weeks. And in my household, that's really strange. Yeah, no, it's, it's super funny that you mentioned that because the first meal I made was um, lentils. And as a kid, I hated lentils, like with a passion. I just remember like, those are my least favorite food. And it kind of really made me feel like a, like a kind of like, sad moment of like growing up because it's like oh i'm wondering if like we ate lentils because of necessity um and when we had the when we first started going into like you know like uh social distancing i started making lentil burgers because one it would take forever to run out of them two it makes ground beef um last longer if you cut it with ground beef and so i was like eating like these lentil ground beef burgers and i was like huh i would never thought that i'd eat these things so yeah maybe there's something in there you know lentils are so filling like yeah. 
for real. I think, I think lentils are just an excellent sort and they're, they're, they're full of nutrients and other yeah. really important things that you need. So that's what? excellent that you're resorting to that. Yeah. So, so are you working with limited resources? Um, so for me, I am in a way I'm lucky enough to have an, uh, an iPad and an Apple pencil to make like digital art with. Um, and I have my own personal laptop, but for people who are still interested in looking like if they have a phone, there's like a number of free apps that you could work with that can really help you out. Um, even when I did video editing with Premiere, which is like the, one of the industry standards for media editing, I would use iMovie because with iMovie, there's less options. So there's kind of like the creativity of working within a box and iMovie comes with all Macs. If you don't have iMovie, there's also some free, excuse me, editing software that you can use like, like on your phone. Um, uh, and my, my green screens rigs are like DIY and stuff like that. So the, yeah, so I'm working with some limited resources. Like I don't have my cameras or like, I don't have lights from, from work. So I just use my phone camera and I just use like a table lamp, but you can still do a lot with it. Like you can control your ISO and your exposure settings and, and, and do some nifty tricks. So it, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. That's, that's so great that you're making it work though. Yeah. which is very important. Well, it gives me the excuse of making bad things too. So I am less anxious about putting out content because I'm like, listen, I could always say that, you know, if I had my gear, it'd be really good. But like, I don't think it would have been good anyway. But the idea of like using what I have definitely helps motivate you and kind of pushes you in certain directions. Like there's a little bit of um, like almost like artistic prompts when you can only use those tools. Yeah. And I definitely want to just say real quick, because um, I know that you've been listening to our podcast. And I know that you're a multimedia guy. So I, I know that you see that each of our episodes on YouTube are a slightly different tint of green. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, we've, that we've been encountering problems with. So we've been doing post-production. We've been using iMovie. We've been using Adobe Rush. I make the graphics using, um, you know, Illustrator and InDesign. But then I like, uh, you know, so I, I've just experimented all those different things. And the assets like the images that I make and the designs that I make they're all the same color green but the way that the video renders out on different softwares we've even had to use like Windows Movie Maker because my media encoder I don't have media encoder anymore it updated and my computer didn't update with it wow so yeah so we've been like in the dirt so that's an example so to anybody listening and being like oh they don't know because they have different shades of green well no we notice it it's just different all these different like outlets of production change the graphics yeah but you know what i think that if we're in that situation it's like it's like the, i don't know if you've seen mad men it's like lucky strike like listen everyone's in this situation so I'm, i just applaud you guys for getting it done like we're here for content like what's it jimmy kimmel and you're doing it from home. Like, you know, it's, it's whatever you can do to get it out there. Yeah, exactly. I think that, um, I really do like the content that you've been giving and I do really like just, you know, that you're still like coaching these kids and inspiring these kids, even though you're not like in that position to do it anymore, you're still doing it despite that. And I think that's really important. So where do you see yourself in the future? Like, where do you see yourself going after this is done? How do you see like the non-for-profit space recovering from this? Oh, geez, I don't know. It's it's interesting because nonprofits are already always like we have like these campaigns to ask for donations or these kind of like funding 
um, sources uh, like that I think all everybody's messaging is going to be a little different now. I think that beforehand you come up with your story like we want you to donate because art tools are important or we want you to donate because this one student found his voice through filmmaking or this one student like she she helps clean the creek and turn that into sculpture. Um, it's going to be a little different now because the corona epidemic it's like everyone's a little hurting you know everyone's financially hurting but also like the arts are important more now more than ever but you also have to double down on that like what, pretty much what your podcast is doing is kind of saying like oh no like the arts didn't lose importance because of an epidemic like you don't go okay well yeah paintings are nice but now we need toilet paper you know if i think it what it says is like paintings are nice now more than ever you need peace of mind you need like the the chutzpah the the the, the extra seasoning of why we're alive <laughs> you know the chutzpah the chutzpah of living the hustle yeah. of living. Yeah. And so I mean, yeah. Absolutely. And I think yeah. that, do you think that more people now more than ever are going to go out there? I mean, this is a very like utopian idea, but everybody's going to go out and like volunteer and help their communities now. Do you think after this happens? I think that you're going to win some people over and that's already kind of a win. I think that I, I'm really happy that I think that um there's kind of like uh, sometimes i feel like we have like these stock personalities that we inherit from the internet you know just from memes and stuff you're like that's right i hate i love canceling all my friends i hate going out um but i think what i just learned through this was that the power of community means something now more than ever the first people who were let go from my organization were our part-time staff and i just remember going like okay cool if i still have my job i got to make sure that like i can help them out by like purchasing gigs and stuff or like even like lending them equipment, which I like, you know, I did, or um, like, like one of my students did, like she needs like, a, like if she needs like a uh, commission to like go for them. Um, and it's like, no, you need, you need community now. It, and it might not be like, we're not like an old village where like we need people to like chop wood for us, but we need to, you know, make sure everyone's okay. Make sure your neighbor has enough to eat. And like, also like don't go out for the sake of like being selfish. Yeah, and for the sake of everybody stay home. Yeah, and that's also really exciting, like all these people who are making masks at home to donate, or even I had one person who was so smart, she was like on Tinder, like going like, hi, I need a 3D printer because we have this file to download masks. Hi, I need a 3D printer. Like just the resourcefulness of people, you know what I mean? And and so that's that's awesome. Uh, I'm really happy. So I hope that that keeps up or even just that sense of community keeps happening. And Only also, swipe right if you have a 3D printer. <laughs> swipe right if you have a 3D printer. Please help this person out. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. So I don't know the, the nonprofits. It's, it's interesting. I'm wondering how all the service industries are going to change because of digital stuff. Like I know remote teaching, we always thought about teaching our classes online and we thought about, well, what does that look like? Um, and it was kind of like a, like a luxury and a thing we didn't really have to think about, but now we do. And also that asks the next question, if we're going to teach online, who gets to take online classes? How many people don't have the resources to it? You know? So and can those kids, yeah, cause that's can, been a really big thing is especially in more rural areas. A yeah. lot of kids go to the library to get yeah. their computers, especially in, and it's like, mm -hmm. where, yeah. how does that, how does access, what's the, the conversation about access is definitely going to come about, up a lot. Yeah. So I'm wondering what nonprofits are going to, cause we were primarily work with young people in the arts. I wonder how everyone else is dealing with it all our, my environmental friends who work in nonprofits, I don't know what they're doing, you know? Um, but it's, 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 it's tricky. I think that a lot of systems have been exposed that aren't the best built. So we're, we're basically at our time cap. What is, the, what's your final thoughts? Um, <laughs> comments? 
final comments are if you have the means if you still have your job take the commissions that take a commission you don't know who's hurting who needs it bad you know a little bit goes a long way and uh also follow follow my content <laughs> yeah. well, no we're definitely going to put links in the show notes to follow you, yeah. you for people to follow you for people to find your students for people to find your projects and i'm definitely going to you know showcase that you're going to have a living page on our website oh, awesome. so don't worry about thank, it thank you so much for having me and it's been a lot of fun and i think this is really really great i think that when i first saw you guys post this i was like yeah like you're right. <laughs> There's, this is this is such a universal experience, and it's also good to hear that kind of perspective. And also, like every time you say the arts matter, it's you know an angel gets its wings. Who knows? So, <laughs> right? An angel gets its wing every time you say an art the arts matter. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna keep that. That's that's great. That's actually excellent. And I'm. There's all these quotes that like my guests are telling me and I'm just like, we're going to have like a week where I just don't stop posting quotes, like not in the story, but actually on post because yeah. it's like. There's a design challenge, just like make those like, like kind of infograph posters, but every time it's just a different quote. Absolutely. Helvetica. 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 Tishura. Helvetica. I'm Do you know your typography? Yeah, I just say. What's sans serif and what's serif mean? If you guys wanted to make a fancy novel, would you use sans serif or serif? And that's like the basics of what I teach. So like, essentially that's it. You just got like what I teach high schoolers because I don't have to teach any more than that. <laughs> All right. Well, it's right now when we're recording this, it's 9, 12 at night. Do you know where your art kids are at? They should be staying home. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, David. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Geckos Podcast, hosted by Remy Leibovic and produced by Dane Wagner. The song used for our intro and outro is Beach Walk by Unicorn Heads. If you enjoyed this podcast, head over to our social media pages on Instagram at Geckos Podcast and our website, geckospodcastblog.wordpress.com. There you can find out more about the artist, contact the host and producer, and find out more about our schedule. Thank you.